Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. We have a really different type of podcast prepared for you today. I'm starting out the podcast speaking with Megan Truppiano, the Meetings Manager for the Infusion Nurses Society. Megan is going to tell us all about our first virtual conference. And next, I'm going to spend a few minutes with several of the conference speakers who are presenting. These speakers have put together really interesting and informative presentations, and they're going to share a bit about their sessions and a little bit about what we're going to learn from them. Lastly, I'm wrapping up the podcast with Marlene Steinheiser, the Director of Clinical Education for INS, and she's going to tell us about a very special guest, someone we've all heard about but haven't had the opportunity to meet. I hope you enjoyed the program. My first guest of the podcast today is Megan Truppiato from INS. Welcome, Megan. Hi, darling. Megan, thank you so much for being here today. I want you to tell our listeners uh, what you do at INS, because we know we're going to talk today about INS 2020, our virtual conference, and I want them to get the background of what you do, and then we're going to start talking a little bit more about the conference in depth. Okay, sounds good. So to give a short background about myself, I currently right now I'm the meetings manager at INS, so I organize all of our conferences, whether that's virtual or face-to-face. Prior to being meetings manager in 2010, I started as meetings coordinator. And I was, uh, so I worked within the meetings department. And then in 2014, moved up to meetings manager. So I've done many, in 2010 up until 2019, we had about two face-to-face conferences a year. So I've done many conferences here at INS. We just started doing virtual conferences in 2015. So there hasn't only had one a year. So this year doing a virtual, a full annual meeting virtual conference is very new to me, but it's also been an exciting planning process so far. Well, let's talk about that. So we started out the year um, not understanding what was uh, before us with COVID-19. Uh, we certainly had a uh, face-to-face uh, conference planned. Uh, then we thought maybe we could reschedule, and then it it turned out that we really did need to move to a virtual platform. And so you have really been um, kind of changing lanes. Not only are you preparing a conference, but you're uh, learning how to navigate a virtual world for a conference. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I can um, try. Like anything, since March, I would say, everything 
anything in this world, I feel like things changed really quickly. We went Mm -hmm. from having a face. I was actually in Las Vegas at the beginning of March. It was March 4th. I was there planning the face-to-face conference, not really thinking this virus would affect us in May. And then by the following week, we were having conversations about postponing it to August. And then within probably with over the next two months, we were constantly having conversations about what if it needed to be completely virtual. And then came to a decision in May that we were going to have a 100% virtual conference. So everything has pretty happened fairly quickly in the planning process. So it's been a lot of learning in a short amount of time to put this virtual conference together. Indeed, indeed. And, you know, today, later in the podcast, we're going to be talking to some of our speakers, and uh, each one is going to tell a little bit about the presentation that they've prepared. But, um, you know, there are so many challenges in putting together a virtual conference, uh, particularly one that started out as an on-ground conference meeting meaning uh, can we make these new dates work for everyone? Is it a presentation that's going to work in a virtual setting versus needing to be a presentation in a in a face-to-face setting? So we've kind of worked our way through all of that. We know that we have some great uh, presentations that um, are going to be saved for next year. Hopefully we'll be able to be in a face-to-face setting next year. Um, But the ones that we have uh, for this conference, for this virtual conference, I am so excited about. We we just really have a nice lineup of presentations. So, Megan, um, let's let's talk to the member or the listener who um, hasn't decided yet about attending INS 2020. Um, I'm going to have you give us the lowdown. So. Um, For starters, it is going to now take place in September, and we decided instead of having a four-day, typically when it's face-to-face, it's a four-day conference that is each, it's consecutive amount of days in a row, but we decided instead of having people sit in front of their computer for four full days in a row, we were going to do it one day a week throughout the month of September. So every Thursday during September, September 3rd, 10th, 17th, and 24th will be, each day will be INS annual meeting. So we're hoping that that doesn't um, provide, like people get tired, you know, doing the same thing four days in a row. It's kind of something to look forward to each week during September. So that's kind of the structure of it. And everything will be live. All of our speakers will be live. The exhibit hall will be live with um, representatives from each company for you to chat with. And then obviously, if you can't make it live, that's fine too. We will provide on-demand access to the conference once it's ended. And our on-demand access will be available for three years. So Mm -hmm. Plenty of time to access it, which I think is a huge benefit. That is really a nice benefit. It's fun to attend 
live when it's presented. And you do get to have the interaction. We are going to have uh, Q&A uh, sections at the end of every presentation. So we still will have the opportunity to ask questions from the speaker. Um, but if, if we can't attend live, the on-demand sessions are going to be so beneficial moving forward. Yeah. And also, even if you do attend live and say you're attending something at two o'clock and there's two sessions you really wanted to watch at two o'clock, then you, on demand, you can watch the second one that you were looking forward to, where at the face-to-face -face conference, you don't have that. You can only physically be in one place. So I think that's another added benefit. This is a whole new world that we're dealing with. It's like when you buy a conference, you get the whole conference and you have the opportunity to go back to it many times. Um, so this is um, really new territory. It's I know it's challenging to put these things together. I know you've been working so hard throughout the summer. Megan, is there anything else that our membership should know? How do they register? Um, they can visit our website. It's pretty easy to just register online and they can register until September 1st. So I recommend signing up within the next couple of weeks. Oh, absolutely. So this is airing August 19th. So that gives us just less than two weeks. So for those of you who are listening, um, please go on the INS website, uh, get a look at the conference and get registered. It is going to be a great a set of presentations and you'll be able to look through our speakers and agenda there as well. Yep. And in addition to the presentations, we'll also have opportunities for them to network and we're going to offer it in different ways. We'll have, they'll have the ability to do a Zoom chat with other attendees so they can see each other face to face, but we'll also have a discussion board. If you don't want to do the Zoom video version, we'll have a discussion board where you can type in different comments and talk with one another. There'll be a space to upload photos, so people will be sharing photos. So it'll be a lot of different ways to, even though they can't be together in the same room, doesn't mean they have to stop socializing. Right. And you will literally be able to see the members that you're attending with if we go into one of the socials. So uh, tell us, what is the name of one of them? There's one that starts in the morning. Is that a coffee chat? Oh, yeah, that's, yep, that's kind of the one I was referring to. Um, where they can chat face-to-face. -face. So we're calling it a morning coffee chat. It will happen on September 10th and 17th, so the second week and the third week of the conference. And it's just kind of, it's going to be an hour prior to the meeting beginning. And it's just time for people, attendees can just log in and they'll be set up in different groups and they'll all just be able to chat. They could talk about something clinical but if they also don't feel like talking clinical and they just want to talk about life, they could wherever like the conversation leads, kind of like how you do in a face-to-face -face environment. Sure. You just start talking with a group of people and yeah, the topics can be anything they want. It's just like being at the conference and sitting down at a at a group table with your breakfast and um visiting with everyone who's there. So those um, those rooms can, you know, you can be there and not necessarily have to talk, um, but you can certainly go into one of the chat rooms and uh, listen to the conversations that are going on. Am I right? Yes, of course. That's another option. Okay, good. So our board members are going to be there. Certainly Mary Alexander is going to be there. Um I'm going to be there. Marlene Steinheiser, the director of education, will be there. 
Um, there's going to be so many people. And, you know, I think our attendance is pretty high for this virtual conference that we have. I think you're going to see a lot of your friends, a lot of the people that you would have expected to see at the face-to-face conference as well. Yes, I definitely agree. We're having, we get many registrations every day. So it looks like a lot of our membership is seeing the value in our virtual conference. So we're looking forward to September. Okay. One last question. I want to ask about the exhibition hall. And will our vendors still be there? And how will we be able to interact with vendors? Yeah, that's a really good question. So our vendors will still be there. There will be a, since this is all on our website, there'll be an area you click to visit the virtual exhibition and different company logos and names will be listed. So you click on the exhibitor's booth or virtual space that you would like to visit and they will, they're each designing their own. So I can't, speak I can't they're not all going to be exactly the same but they'll all have different things to offer between videos and some might even have their own presentations you might click a link in it and you can attend the presentation it's like a chat room that they've put together that could be face-to-face or Mm -hmm. something you just watch live Mm -hmm. they'll also have chat on their booth you could just type in questions and a representative will be available to answer any of your questions right away um, yeah, so they're all kind of adding, their, there'll be graphics and just different product information. Very, like, similar, like, the content will be similar to what you would see face-to-face. It's just now in a virtual environment. Mm-hmm. So bring your own candy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you won't be getting any candy. <laughs> So, Megan, um, I I did tell you that that was my last question, but I did want to ask one more thing. Now, typically with our face-to-face conferences, we have some kind of an app that we use on our phone. Will there be an app for attendees this year? So not the kind of app you're talking about, not a mobile app that will have your schedule and the exhibitor information. There isn't an app for that. We are having a game. Um, it's kind of in place of at the face-to-face, we have a virtual passport where you walk around to the different exhibitors and get a stamp. And then at the end, if you collect all your stamps, you're entered to win a prize. So we found a, a game that you actually use your mobile device. It's called Scan Trivia. And you there'll be a QR code on the screen in a booth or on our webpage and just As you're navigating the conference, if you scan the different QR codes just with your camera, all you do is hold your camera on your phone in front of it and the link will pop up and you answer a trivia question. You get points based on certain trivia questions and that will move you higher up the leaderboard and we will be giving away prizes for people who collect the most points. Hopefully that makes sense. So we don't have to download a barcode scanner or anything for our phone. We can just use our camera feature, hold the camera up there, and it's going to capture that? Yes. There's nothing you have to download. How fun. How fun. Well, Megan, thank you so much for being uh, with me today. We're going to transition over and start visiting with some of our speakers. I do thank you for your time, Megan, and we do look forward to seeing you at the virtual conference as well. Great. Thank you. Have a great day. And my next guest is Sean Reed. Now, Sean, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about your work and what you do. Hi, sure. Uh, You bet. My name is Sean Reed. I am an assistant 
uh, professor at the University of Colorado at College of Nursing. And I am, uh, I've been a clinical nurse specialist in palliative care, oh my goodness, since probably 15 plus years, 17 plus years, I don't even remember now. Um, but um, my area of clinical expertise is really working in um, with patients in the patient population that's um, with serious illness, chronically ill, uh, terminally ill, and really helping them transition um, you know, their wishes and goals into something uh, that we prefer that to have a memory of, something to remember versus something to forget. And a lot of this contends with the way that we approach this um, unique subject, a lot of the ways that we communicate with our patients and families, and really, you know, how do we initiate these end-of-life discussions with these patients that we are working with on a day-to-day basis? Okay, so your presentation at INS 2020 is how to initiate end-of-life discussions with your patients. Um, First of all, thank you so much for bringing this important conversation to our conference. And second of all, I'm going to ask you to tell us what you think the learner will come away with when they when they attend your session. Oh, you bet. So at the end of the um, session that uh, I will be having, I'm hoping that the attendees will be able to verbalize how to begin an end-of-life care conversation with their patients and families, uh, some skills and tools that they can take back with them um, in developing their own practice with the, around, you know, things such as what are some of the myths of common, you know, uh, communication, mm-hmm. what are some of the fears that are around um, communicating this kind of topic, especially barriers to the communication, um, oftentimes in these situations, we find that we're just, we're afraid uh, to say the wrong thing. Yes. We're afraid to, um, you know, open up a discussion. And and I think that the truth is, and my experience in all of this is that patients and families are way far ahead and we are the ones constantly trying to catch up with them. And I'm hoping that at the end of, um, you know, my session that folks will be able to get a better, clearer understanding of that and really feel a little bit more comfortable on exploring how they can start initiating this topic with their patients and families and feel comfortable and confident to do so. Excellent. Sean, thank you so much for sharing a few minutes today. We are really looking forward to your presentation in September. Absolutely. Thanks. And I am looking forward to seeing uh, you all there at my session. And my next guest is Sarah Knutsvig. Sarah, welcome so much to the podcast today. Thank you, Don. I'm very excited to be here. So Sarah's presentation is Infusion Therapy Basic Boot Camp. And this has been requested by our learners um, across many sessions, across many years. And we are so excited to have Sarah present this content. Sarah, tell us a little bit about your practice. And then I'm going to have you just go right in and tell us what our learners can expect at INS 2020, your virtual session. Sure. Currently, I serve as an organizational resource for vascular access care, maintenance, and insertion for clinical staff. We have about 135 ambulatory sites here at UW Health. Uh, Prior to this role, I worked on the venous access team at UW Health inpatient facility, uh, where I served as an expert in vascular access services, specializing in PIC placement and peripheral venous catheter insertion. 
Um, as you said, Don, my presentation for the INS will be Infusion Therapy Bootcamp. To set the groundwork for the presentation, I'll begin by giving a brief overview of the circulatory system, anatomy of a blood vessel, and upper arm and cardiac vasculature. Then we'll dive into the different types of vascular access devices, including short peripheral catheters, midlines, and central vascular access devices. We'll focus on best practices for assessment and maintenance of those devices, as well as best practices for blood sampling. I'll show some examples of bundle checklists for various procedures, including a CVAD maintenance bundle and peripheral intravenous catheter bundle that is used at the organization where I work. So, Sarah, what is the overall goal of the presentation? I know you have your objectives all set up, but um, at the end of the presentation, what do you hope learners are going to walk away with? Well, Don, our patients are becoming more complex in terms of their vascular access needs. Um, and as healthcare and clinicians, we need to be able to meet those needs by, you know, being master inserters, being able to care and maintain their vascular access devices, and to make informed decisions regarding what's best for each patient. Ultimately, I want people to walk away from this experience with the knowledge and ability to describe how to implement best practices when using, caring for, and maintaining peripheral and central vascular access devices in their organization. Sarah, we have so many people who are really interested in this session. I thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to just bring all of this boot camp information together, putting it together in a great presentation. You have such a fantastic background and uh, your current work is so meaningful. And we are really looking forward to having you at the conference. Thank you. I'm very much looking forward to it, Don. Thank you, Sarah. We'll see you in September. All right. Bye-bye. My next guest is Denise Harper. And Denise, I'm going to ask you to tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Tell us a little about your practice, and then we'll jump right in and have you tell us about your INS 2020 virtual session. Okay. Thanks, Dawn. My name is Denise Harper, and I am the Infusion Clinical Nurse Specialist at Vidant Medical Center in Greenville, North Carolina. I've been in that position since um, 2010, but I have a infusion background that goes back much further than that, like 30 years. I started in home infusion therapy and found my passion. So I also worked in dialysis for four and a half years. So my topic of exploration of peripheral intravenous access with continuous or bolus infusion of 3% sodium chloride came about because some of the physicians were wanting to administer 3% through peripheral IVs instead of putting in central lines. And from my dialysis background, vein preservation is a huge, um, important thing for me. And I was wondering, what were we doing to our patients' veins whenever we administered that 3%? Mm -hmm. Were we creating more issues than we were fixing? So I um, got together a team and we did a research study for a uh, looking at patients for a three-year period that had orders for 3% and those that received it either partially through a peripheral or completely through a peripheral. And 
to get an idea of if we were creating issues. And so what I'm hoping that you can get out of this is um, the indications for 3% or hypertonic saline, hot salts, whatever you may be familiar Mm -hmm, with it as, mm -hmm. and list factors that influence and have dealings with maintaining, being able to maintain your peripheral access. Wow. Denise, this is a really important conversation. And I, I know I've looked at your, your PowerPoint. Uh, you really have some nice uh, discussions, some learning from your organization that you're going to share with attendees. And, you know, we're living in a world where we're doing things that were considered at one point in time a never, you know, something that would just never be done. And I think this is a really important conversation to have. I thank you so much for your work in this field. Um, I don't think that we would have ever seen uh, 3% sodium chloride in in the same discussion as a peripheral intravenous access uh, conversation some years ago. So I'm looking forward to your presentation. I know our attendees will be also, and we are looking forward so much to seeing you in September. All right. Thank you so much, Dawn. I look forward to it myself. My next guest is Julie Delisle, and she is going to be presenting One Unit of Blood, Many Components. Julie, welcome so much to the podcast. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Julie, I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit about your current practice and what you do. Um, Currently, I am a transfusion safety officer. I work for the Blood Center of Wisconsin, now called Versity. And uh, what I do is I work with the hospitals on patient blood management and making sure that blood is used appropriately. Excellent. You have a really interesting job. I, I, As we were talking just a little bit in our pre-meeting, I have such respect for those who work in blood services and do the work that you do. Um, so I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about the presentation that you've prepared for INS 2020. My presentation for INS is going to talk about the safety of the blood product. So what I'm going to do is explain um, the safeguards that are taken from the donation to the patient's bedside. Excellent. So there are a lot of steps, a lot of very important steps. We know that there's a lot of testing that happens. And we're hearing a lot in the media right now uh, because of COVID-19 about uh, the different uh, uses of blood products. Um, What will... um, an attendee be able to expect to to learn once they leave your session? At the end of my session, I would hope that the attendee would understand uh, how the blood product is collected, how we process it, how we test it, and understand all the safeguards that go into uh, both the donation and when you administer the blood product. Very good. Julie, we look forward to your presentation in September. We wish you well in the interim, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much. And my next guest is Judy Smith. Now, Judy, I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit about yourself and about your practice, and then we'll go ahead and talk about the session that you're presenting at INS 2020. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So uh, my name is Judy Smith. I have been a nurse for 25 years and uh, been in vascular access for almost 20 of those years. My current role is as the manager of uh, a vascular access team. Uh, we are 11 nurses and we cover 10 hospitals in Central Texas uh, for um pick and midline insertions, assistance with difficult peripheral IVs. Uh, we also do quality rounding, CLABSI prevention, education, uh, and some things like that. So um, it's a very, uh, it's a great team and it's a, it's a great opportunity for me. Wow. Your team has an extensive coverage too for 11 people to do all of that. Um, I, my hat's off to you, Judy. Good work. Oh, well, thank you. They're, they're pretty incredible. <laughs> now <laughs> let's go ahead. Let's talk about your presentation for INS 2020. Uh, the, the title of your session is safe implementation of a midline catheter program in a five hospital network. Tell us what learners are going to, um, discover when they come to your session. Okay, well, um, you know, I, we came a little late to the midline game, and here is why, um, because of, we were so concerned about safety. Uh, you know, the INS standards of practice um, give uh, guidelines as far as what drugs can be infused through a midline catheter and what drugs cannot, and one of the most uh, important factors is the solution's osmolality. And um, that makes good sense. However, I think most of us, uh, even in vascular access world, but certainly those nurses at the bedside who are infusing these medications don't know what the osmolality is of most of the solutions that they give. And so we had safety concerns um, about starting up with midline. And so my presentation is going to talk about uh, what we did uh, and and the, the steps that we've taken to ensure that our nurses have uh, the information that they need and the resources that they need in order to uh, safely uh, take care of patients with midlines and manage those catheters um, to, so that we are not infusing things uh, through midlines that should not go through midlines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you did this across a five hospital network. So this was, this is big work. Um, so we yeah, are looking for. It has been. <laughs> It has been. Um, so we, we only have midlines at our five largest hospitals in our network. Some of our hospitals are very small rural hospitals, and so we have not taken midlines um, to those facilities, but um, to our five urban and suburban hospitals, um, that's where we've implemented our midline program. Excellent. Judy, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to talk with us and to share about your presentation for INS 2020. We look forward to seeing you in September. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it as well. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. And my next guest is Linda Grinnell Merrick. Linda, welcome. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Linda, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about your practice and your background, what you do. Yeah. I, so, I'm a nurse practitioner, um, known as the lead nurse practitioner. That just means I've probably been around the longest in the uh, rheumatology clinic at the University of Rochester in Rochester, New York. And I've been doing this since 
I think it's been about eight years now. Prior to that, you know, this is the beauty of nursing. We can move around a little bit within our careers. So prior to that, I worked in transplant surgery and prior to that in dialysis. So I've obviously loved patients who have chronic diseases, I think is what I'm always drawn to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Linda, your presentation then for INS 2020 is rheumatoid arthritis. So you're giving an overview and you're talking about treatment options. Tell us what our members who attend uh, might expect from your presentation. Yeah, so what I've done with the presentation as much as possible is kind of taking it very globally. So from a, you know, a little bit of pathophysiology, you know, how do people end up having rheumatoid arthritis? You know, how we go about diagnosing them? What are some genetic risk factors? And then go on then looking at um, what are some of the common treatments that we're seeing. I think this is really important for the nurses who are, you know, working in infusion centers and patients are going to be asking them questions. And it's so important for nurses to understand not only the disease process of the patient that's sitting there with them, but, you know, also then to be able to kind of understand what the medications and why we're, you know, prescribing some of these medications for the patient. Um, So sometimes it can help, you know, nurses are always very helpful. I'm always talking to the patients and patients trust nurses. Mm -hmm. So hoping that nurses, you know, the nurses that will come will really find this to be beneficial and kind of add to what they already know. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is really an important topic and you're absolutely right. Um, Our infusion nurses spend a lot of time providing treatment to patients with rheumatoid arthritis. So um, this is the perfect topic. And thank you so much for preparing this information for us. We really are looking forward to your presentation. Well, thank you very much. I look forward to presenting it. I wish we could all be there together in person, but obviously this year it's not allowed. Well, <laughs> we are. Forward, oh, yes, <laughs> we are all going to be there together. Um, but virtually, absolutely. That's right. Thank yeah, you. So interesting much. times. Thank you. Linda. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And my next guest. I have with me today Anne Ploha. And Anne, welcome so much. I'm so glad that you oh, were able to you. come. So, um, Anne, let's start out just like I've asked the other speakers. I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and about your practice. Um, well, I am a clinical nurse specialist. And back in 2014, uh, I did obtain uh, my PhD in nursing. Um, But my passion, since I can remember, has been infusion nursing, and that's why I became a CRNI, and that's why, you know, you just kind of live and die by those standards out there, and wherever you work, you're always going through and looking at the policies and procedures, and um, that's what, um, at this new facility where I I work now with uh, Dignity Health, they asked me to come in and really get their And I kind of found it interesting in 2016, they wanted me to come in and really help develop their vascular access program. And that's what I've done to really look at the policies and procedures and do program development. And I got their vascular access team really up and running. And so that's kind of been my life's journey. You know, wherever I go, people seem to tap on me because I'm a CRNI and that's the beauty of the CRNI. They know, you know, those standards. And so Everywhere I seem to go, whatever I go, I'm trying to be a, a clinical nurse specialist for med surgery. It's like, can you come over here and help us with this policy? And 
what's the new standards for this? And are we doing starting IVs right? And should we be, you know, in, just for my topic, uh, you know, what I always find is, um, you know, you guys don't have any policies in place for when you remove a central line. And that's kind of where this topic led me today. That's, but that's about me and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and talk about your topic. So your presentation for INS 2020 is about ear embolism and cerebral ischemic events that are related to vascular access devices. So um, just tell us a little bit about what we can expect to learn in your presentation. Uh, what you can learn is just about all the surprising things. I think we all kind of learned over the years and from standards that the standard of care is when you pull a central line or insert a central line, you know, they need to be flat and you have to place, you know, petroleum gauze on the, on the, um, on the side and have them lay flat. Um, but what I found was very interesting is even today, when I was doing my review of literature, this topic has always been passionate for me because I was involved personally in my last healthcare system with air embolism. Um, they DC'd uh, a central line. The patient was in the chair. Everything was seemed to be done correctly, but the patient, you know, was uh, the nursing assistant got the patient up into the shower, and all of a sudden the patient's coding. Um, the patient's been coded. And they're calling our line team to please come and help because they can't get IV access. And as uh, uh, we're looking and helping the doc uh, look at the veins to get access, he's going, see, this is not going in. And we're standing there going, no, your line is in. It's down. He goes, but I keep pulling back air. I, he goes, I'm not in. And I said, you're in. And it just dawned on him right there. And that event has always just stuck with me. The look on his face and the... <gasps> Air embolism, mm-hmm. you know, when you're from pulling a central line and he's standing there pulling out syringe after syringe. And that event has always stuck with me as to just the significance of of what can happen so very quickly. And these patients can die very quickly just from a simple procedure of removing a central line. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even to this current place I'm working, when I was reviewing their standards, they didn't have anything in place about that petroleum, you know, that petroleum-based, you know, ointment on that site for removal. And as I was talking to the world-renowned neurovascular surgeons down there about and neurovascular intensivists down there, I said, you know, your patients sit up a lot and we have to keep them up a lot. And what are we going to do when we're removing the central lines? And they're looking at me going, every lesson doesn't happen during removal. It's only on insertion and we take care of that. And I said, well, let me show you some articles on what happened. And they were just could not believe as to what they were reading as to all the incidents that can happen. And now all of a sudden patients can have not just shortness of breath and um, the, the lung component of it, but these patients have seizures and disorientation and everything that they're trained to watch for, they go, we didn't realize that this now needs to be one of the differential diagnosis when we're responding to a stroke or an event here in the hospital. We now have to really think about were there any uh, adverse or inadvertent reactions from a line pull, tubing disconnected, IVs, or anything vascular related that they have to think about as well as not only blood pressure and what's going on with these patients that, that might have caused this, but 
what events did they have a line removed with an IV discontinued with an IV started, you know, what all events, you know, they have to put that into their thought process as well. So for me, it's just been very interesting as to working with physicians and, and even right now, I'm, you know, when I did this presentation, I'm sorry, I, I keep talking because I'm so excited about well, this presentation. I, actually, I think it, you're just about ready to launch right into your whole presentation. You, <laughs> yeah, you really feel tough. passionately so, about this. So, so what I will do for this presentation, it can be very dry. But to make this exciting, I'm doing case after case after case and getting mm-hmm. uh, audience participation as to it's just not adults, it's kids, it's just not central line insertion, it's peripheral IVs, it's ERCPs, it's all, everything that we do to a patient, we have to be very careful to make sure, you know, that everything's connected, that you got the right line and everything that can happen. And even now with the pandemic going on that, you know, how we're caring for these patients, you know, we'll, I'll touch on a little bit about that too, was just to all the challenges that were placed on us as, you know, caregivers, how do we keep these patients safe when we are caring for their lines to prevent air embolism and what we can do to prevent it and what we can do if it happens, what do we do? Yes. Wow. Well, this is going to be another great session. We've we've uh, described several in our lineup, and Anne, yours is also just going to be right up there at the top. Just such good information. And we truly appreciate your willingness to share your years of experience and this very specific topic uh, with our attendees at INS 2020. Well, thank you for, I'm so excited to have been accepted. I'm so excited to speak. So, and then not to be able to stand there and look out from the audience this time, it's going to be so interesting and exciting to do a presentation virtual now. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And we are as well too. And thank you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. Okay. My final guest of this podcast is Marlene Steinheiser. Marlene Thank you so much for coming and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you for having me. Marlene is my colleague in the um, INS Education Department. Marlene, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do at INS? Sure, Don. So I'm the Director of Clinical Education, and I work with the Education Department and our National Council on Education, our NCOE team to develop um, our conference sessions. And um, as you mentioned, I work with you, Dawn, and we work to develop our online learning as well. So we're really excited about our very first INS virtual meeting that's coming up in September. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, earlier in the podcast, I was talking with Megan Trupiano about the steps that occurred, how we kind of just found ourselves in this position. And now that we're here, we have what we know is a fabulous conference. We have a great lineup of speakers. Uh, We have it happening over four separate days. Uh, We have some ease in our day. We have some coffee time where um, our attendees can chat with one another. We can still have some networking. So we know we've got some fun coming. And speaking of fun, I know that our first presenter is somebody really famous, Florence yeah. Nightingale. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, how did we get Florence Nightingale to come and speak to INS? 
Well, I'll tell you, Don, it wasn't an easy task because, you know, as you know, Florence um, was uh, born in 1820 and she um, passed away in 1910. So we really had to reach out um, beyond our, our realm of the um, of, of today's world to reach Florence. And she was kind enough to respond that she would come to our conference. So we're really excited. I've um, had a chance to have some correspondence, um, you know, in a different way, virtually with with Florence, and she's not, you know, here with us on, on this earth today, but had a chance to, to dialogue a little bit with her. And she's so excited to come back and talk to um, nurses today. And I'm really excited to hear what she has to say about what she's lived through during her time as a nurse. And what we're experiencing today, it's just a time that we've never had in, in any of our careers living through a pandemic. And so really anxious to hear what her, her thoughts are, what wisdom she has to share, what she learned during her time and what we can apply now. So um, I'm really excited to hear from Florence. So interestingly enough, you know, just as we're experiencing a pandemic today, Florence went through so many things. Just think of Crimea, the Crimean War, where um, she, you know, really laid a groundwork for for practice there that made a difference in the worst of situations. So, like you said, it's great to hear from her and get her perspective. So how are we going to do that? I know we're we're going to give her some questions and she's going to answer. Maybe she'll answer with a question. I don't know what to expect. Can you tell us a little more? Sure. So during our correspondence, she, she does have some questions from our attendees that we've collected. And so we're going to send those to her so that she can address our, our questions. And I, I, I actually developed a few questions myself for her. As I mentioned, I'm really interested to hear about it. As you, you mentioned, she lived through a war. She lived through these tragedies. And how did she work through those? What did she learn from them? What can she share with us? And so she'll be answering some of those questions for us um, during her presentation. And, you know, we're, we're hoping that she'll have a, a safe and, and a pleasurable journey back to our time. Um, <laughs> so we're excited to, to have her. Well, Marlene, this is really going to be an interesting session. I'm so happy that we had the opportunity to allow our attendees to send questions for her. We'll we'll see what those questions are. We'll see what the responses are. And, you know, let's talk about our last date. When we wrap up the conference on September 24th, we have Lisa Gorski, who's going to be talking about the INS standards of practice, and she's going to give us a one-hour peek into what we can expect coming next January. We have Lynn Hadaway, who's going to give a great presentation on mast cells um, and, and at the correlation to infusion therapy. So if you've ever heard Lynn Hadaway talk, we really have... Um, a great presentation coming from there. We have Cynthia Saver, who, who's going to be talking about the anatomy of writing for publication. And this is something that's so important. We want our members to be publishing. We want our members to be sending their work uh, to the Journal of Infusion Nursing and getting these their, their good work, their research, their evidence-based practice 
um, programs sent to us so that we can share it with with others. Um, there are so many things to that I could list. Even on the last day yet, we have Jennifer Flynn, who is presenting about professional liability aspects of infusion nursing. And this is also just a really strong presentation. So many, so many more that we haven't been able to share in this podcast, this is just a taste of what you can expect in the month of September as you attend INS 2020, our virtual meeting. Um, we thank you so much for listening today. We are looking forward to seeing you four continuous days in September, every Thursday at INS 2020. Bye now. This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. Thank you for listening.